All right. Well, good to see you all here tonight. Amen. We're starting a new chapter in our series through the book of Esther, so we'll be in Esther chapter 7. And Before we get started, I'd like to quickly remind you where we're at in this account. Esther has gone in before the king, her husband, uninvited to make her petition on behalf of her people who are set to be killed in 11 months due to the decree issued by wicked Haman. The king welcomed her. He told her he would grant her request even to the half of the kingdom. She doesn't mention her petition, though. She invites him to a banquet, and she invites Haman along. And she says, I'll tell you then. (laughs) They get to the banquet, and the king asks, He says he'll grant her petition even to the half of the kingdom. It looks like everything's happening just as she would have hoped. And she doesn't say anything. But instead of of telling Ahasuerus, she says, come to a banquet tomorrow. And I'll tell you then. And so it seems like she was getting a little scared there. We don't know. It seems like she had a lack of faith, perhaps a lack of courage. She seemed... Very courageous before. If I perish, I perish. We don't know, and that's it would be speculation, but that's how it kind of looks. Well, remember, that night, the king couldn't fall asleep. Remember that? And, and Haman, he went home from the banquet. He's all happy. And he was in the exclusive club of, of Ahasuerus and Esther at this banquet, and he's all excited. And then on the way home, he sees Mordecai not bowing before him. And so he pouts to his wife and his friends, and he says all of this, all of his power, all of his wealth, all of his his family even, because he was bragging about his children, he says, all of this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai in the king's gate. Well, he is told by his wife, very sweet lady, and even his friends agreed build a gallows 75 feet high and have Mordecai killed on the gallows. So Haman's excited about that. He's he's up that night. He's overseeing this construction, no doubt. He wants to be the first one in the office the next morning to talk to the king about killing Mordecai. And then the king couldn't sleep, as I was mentioning, and they Out of all that he could have had brought before him to help him go to sleep, he has a book brought in. And out of all the books that he has brought in, he has the record of the Chronicles of of their kings. And out of all the places they could have read in that book, they read of the account where Mordecai saved the king's life but was not rewarded for it. Now the king, he wants to honor Mordecai. See how God is at work here? It's just amazing. Through the night, God is at work. It seemed hopeless. Haman seems like he's going to get victory. But God was at work behind the scenes. And, of course, Esther, Mordecai, Haman, they have no idea what's taking place. And now the king wants to honor Mordecai. He asks, who's in the court? Well, it's Haman. He was the first one in that morning. And so he calls Haman in and he says, what should be done to the man that the king wants to honor? And, of course, Haman thinks it's him. Amen. 
I mean, after all, he was invited to the exclusive banquet. And we talked about how it's interesting that she even invited Haman to begin with, but how that's working to her advantage now because Haman's all puffed up and, well, the king wants to honor me. I tell you what you should do, king. You should, whoever the man is, you know, <laughs> whoever he may be, you, you ought to bring your royal apparel, your crown, put it upon him, and you ought to put him on your horse and parade him through the city and you should have your most noble prince go before him and, and mention how this is what will be done uh, to the man that the king delighteth in and wants to honor. This is my version, by the way, okay? I'm not quoting scripture here. And what a sight it must have been to watch Haman's reaction when the king says, that's a great idea. Go and do that right away for Mordecai. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? And, and what's great is, you know, it's, it actually tells us that it was Haman who had to prepare Mordecai to be paraded about. He's the one that had to adorn him. <laughs> Isn't that great? And he's the one that had to parade him around and all that stuff and sing Mordecai's praises. Well, Haman, of course, he goes home ashamed. And his, his lovely wife, who you would think would console him, you know, sorry, honey, that you had a bad day. It's going to get worse. And so he's not comforted in the least. And his wife basically says, you're going to die. Because she says, of the one whom you've begun to fall, you're going to fall. And before Haman can process any of what's being told to him by his wife and his wise men, the king's chamberlains come rushing in and they tell Haman, we got to go. You got to get to the banquet. And so he doesn't have time to make a plan. He doesn't have time to really think about what's been said. He doesn't have time to do anything. He, he's just taken right away to the banquet. And I would imagine that he, whatever might have impacted his heart at that time, being told that, he probably feels like, no, I'm good. I'm still in the king's favor. I, I've really got nothing to worry about here. And so he, he gets rushed off uh, to that banquet. And I think it... His pride is continuing to blind him. And I think it would have reassured him in his pride that despite the counsel, that everything's going to be fine. But remember Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So that brings us to where we left off. And at the beginning of chapter 7, let's read through uh, verse 6 here. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed to the half of the kingdom. Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me and my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed to be slain and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. So at the end of chapter 6, as I was saying, he's, he's been 
foretold of, of his destruction. They've, they've given the prophecy, if you will, that you're going to fall before this Jew. And with no time to respond, he's hurried off to the banquet, and he's got this prophecy hanging over his head, that this destruction is coming to him. And in verse 2, um, the, the, the king says to the queen, what is thy petition, Queen Esther, and it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request, and it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. So Esther here has really done a masterful job of getting and keeping the king's attention. She invites him to this banquet again, and it's interesting that he's the one that brings up the petition. She didn't have to say, remember why I called you here? I mean, she's got his attention, and he brings it up. And he asked her, and he's asking now for a third time. And he's anxiously, anxiously awaiting, what is it that she wants to talk about? So I think the king is amused. If I, can, I don't know if that's the right word, but I think he's amused with how Esther has gone about this. It, it's somehow it's keeping his attention. And he brings this up, but I don't think... Ahasuerus is the kind of man who's going to continue to be amused. You know what I'm saying? I think eventually he's, this is going to wear thin. He's going to say, okay, tell me. I, I need to know. And so I think that's going to end pretty soon. Of course, we don't get to that point. But he wants an answer. And on this day, after God has orchestrated all that he has behind the scenes, the queen, she doesn't hesitate any longer. And when the king asks, she says in verse 3, if I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. And so I'd like to piggyback on my Sunday morning message where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The, the Hebrew word for grace is the same for favor here as it is over in Genesis. And Esther says, if I have found favor in thy sight. And remember we talked about Noah, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's a, there's a similarity here between Genesis 6-8. And remember that I mentioned Noah had found grace because he was seeking for it. He, he had sought for God's grace. Well, Esther, she's finding favor with the king because... She sought for it, right? We see the effort she put forth. She got all dolled up, right? She cooked a meal. You know, didn't just say, well, there's tuna in the fridge if you want it. Um, I mean, she's got it together here. She's putting forth the effort. She is seeking for this man's favor. Now, this is also a figure of speech, that if I have found favor in thy sight, that it's encompassing a period of time. You understand what I'm trying to say? If I have found favor in your sight because of how I have lived as your wife, if I have been pleasing to you over the last four years, if I have been pleasing in your sight as your wife, if I have behaved wisely, if, if I have been a good queen, if I have found favor in thy sight, 
the angel Gabriel said to the Virgin Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Mary was chosen to bring our Savior into the world because she had a life that was pleasing to God. If I have found favor in thy sight, O King, if, if you can look over my life as your wife, if you can see that I have lived right, I found favor in your sight. Mary found favor in the eyes of God. And it wasn't just that there was one moment in time, but that it was a life that had been lived pleasing to our, our God. And we know if we're in Christ, we are favored by God as far as our eternal standing goes. Nothing changes that. Amen. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that seal cannot be broken by anybody but God upon arrival because the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. And so we know that our, our eternal standing were good. Proverbs 8.35 For whosoever findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But while we live on this earth and we go about our, our day-to-day life and, and we, weeks pass, months pass, years begin to pass, if we want to be favored with God's blessings... We must live a life that is pleasing to God. Jesus said in John 8, 29, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Why? Jesus went on to say, For I do always those things that please Him. We read of Joseph and how he was favored. He's down in the jail and... He found favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, the Bible says. Stephen mentions over in Acts chapter 7 how Joseph found favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. Why did Joseph find favor? It was because he lived a life that was pleasing to God. They recognized that, although the pagans wouldn't put it in those terms. We read in Daniel 1.9, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. That was early on when they were wanting to feed him the king's meat. And he says, I, I can't. Can you just feed me pulse? Why did Daniel find favor? Because he had lived a life pleasing to God. Is everybody with me? Psalm 5.12 For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. The righteous have favor. You catch that? Listen to the wisdom of the Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 27. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor. But he that seeketh mischief, it shall come to him. Proverbs 12, 2, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices he will condemn. Proverbs 14, 9, Fools make mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. God's saving grace will never be removed. 
from those who have placed their faith in Christ for salvation. But God's favor in this life, while we live among men, is for those who will choose to live pleasing to God. You hear what I said? Choose to live pleasing to God. Those who will seek Him. I just recently dealt with one who claims he wants the blessings of God in his life. But he's convinced God hates him. And it's someone who claims to have called upon God for salvation. But then as the conversation unfolds, you find out they are never in God's Word. Not faithful to the house of God. And then you find out he's out there messing around with the occult. Not having God's favor in his life is not God's fault. That's what I want you to understand tonight. This idea of her finding favor, she had a life pleasing. Us finding favor with God, it is a life pleasing. And you can't go around messing with that junk and then expect the blessings of God. It doesn't work that way. Listen again to what that verse says in Proverbs eleven twenty seven. But he that seeketh mischief, it shall come to him. When the choice is made to live an unrighteous life, then don't expect the favor of God. I, I know this is going against modern teachings. You know, there for a while, I don't know if you remember, maybe it was 10, 15 years ago, the buzzword was favor, you know. And that was it, man. Everybody wanted God's favor. If you live unrighteous, don't expect God's favor. And certainly don't have the audacity to blame God for the lack of blessings upon your life. The verses I just read are clear. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. Among the righteous there is favor. And so God will not pour out His blessings upon those who do not seek to live right. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Stephen also mentioned in Acts 7 how David had found favor with God. And we, we know David's faults. But David was still called a man after God's own heart. And so back to Esther, she asked, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king. She can ask that question because she knows she has lived right in His sight. So I hope you see how our behavior over time is a factor when it comes to receiving God's favor while living this life below. God is clear about this in His Word. Sometime you should read the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28. Let me just read you the first two of each section, of some verses from, from each section in that chapter. Verses 1 and 2 of Deuteronomy 28 say, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Listen. And all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Later on in that chapter, we get this in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to, deserve, to observe to do all His commandments and statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee, 
and overtake thee. So God's clear in His Word, amen? And that's why later you'll read in, in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth a record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. But so many today are just taught, oh, God's just always going to bless, 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 bless. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Esther says, if I have found favor in thy sight, O king. And then she says, and if it please the king. So she recognizes the king as her ultimate authority. He has the final say as the king. And likewise, we come before our king with our petitions, but we have to acknowledge that our king will ultimately answer as he sees fit, as it pleases him, because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knows that we can ask amiss because really we're just going to consume it upon our own lust. And our Lord taught us to pray this way, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so we should desire for God's will to be accomplished when we come before Him with our petitions. He doesn't see as we see. Amen? He knows. We don't know. And, and obviously, I think you're still right to pray, you know, Lord, this is our request. But Lord, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm just making application from our text here. We know Ahasuerus was a wicked man. He by no means represents God. So don't think I'm saying otherwise. So these, these are just applications. Now, what do you suppose the king is expecting Esther to ask for? I would think he would expect something that most people would ask for. You know, maybe some wealth. Maybe do a favor for somebody and give them a position. Right? I mean, he's the king. <laughs> And maybe he's thinking something like that. I'm sure he received many requests that cost him, right? The rich have many friends. That's what the Bible says. In fact, it says that in Proverbs 14.20. Proverbs 19.6 says, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. But she doesn't seek anything after that manner. Rather, she says, Let my life be given me, at my petition. She's asking for her life to be spared from the clutches of a wicked man. And Haman is a type of Satan. And I hope you see this parallel here in our call for salvation. We go before our king and we ask that we be spared, spiritually speaking. That God would save us from our sins and that He would spare us from His wrath in the lake of fire for all eternity, and that we might be delivered from the clutches of Satan. Amen. We don't view God, listen to me tonight, we do not view God as ruling upon His throne just to grant us our request that we might have this great life. No. God may give you a great life. He's not ruling to give you honor. He may give you honor. But we, we understand that we need a deliverer because we stand condemned apart from Christ. I think of the thief on the cross who died next to our Lord. He did not seek for earthly deliverance 
in his prayer. But he prayed, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did the other pray? If you be the Christ, then get us down too. But the thief who we know went to paradise because Jesus said he would, he just said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And of course, any who come to Christ by faith will find favor of our King because he delights in the salvation of sinners. That's always pleasing to God. It was for this reason he bled and died. He will never turn away anyone who genuinely seeks after him. Next in verse 3, Esther continues by interceding for the deliverance of her countrymen that they might not share in the same fate. And I believe this should be our heart for our own people as well. Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was the Apostle Paul's heart. And so when's the last time you interceded for someone who needed to be saved? That you went before our King and, and you asked the petition that they be spared. And I'm talking about a fervent prayer. And you crying out to God on the behalf of somebody else. But how selfish our prayers are. Listen, there's no shortage of lost people today. You say, well, all my family members are saved and all my friends are saved. Find somebody that's lost. It's not that hard. You probably have a family member, a classmate, a coworker, a friend that needs Christ. But are you crying out to God for them? We should have the kind of heart Esther has for her people. We should have the kind of heart that Moses had for his people. We should have the kind of heart that the Apostle Paul had for his people. Romans 9, 20, Romans 9, verses 2 and 3, Paul said that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish myself, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Can you hear his heart? Exodus 32, 32, Moses says, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Man, that puts our prayer life to shame, I think. I mean, desiring for God to save sinners. Now, of course, what Paul and Moses are speaking of can't happen. Paul could not be cursed. He's already been saved. That's why Paul said, I could wish. I could wish, but I, I can't. Moses was saved and couldn't be unsaved, which is why God would respond to Moses after he said what he said. <laughs> after he said what he said. That's why God would respond to Moses. Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. God says, look, I'm dealing with the sinner, and I can't deal with you that way because you're part of the redeemed. But we do see their heart for their own people who needed to be delivered by having a saving faith in Christ. And this caused them to cry out to God and to intercede on behalf of those who, who needed help. And we see more of Esther's heart, or we'll see more of Esther's heart when we get to chapter 8. And, and she's constantly interceding for her people. 
She's crying out to God for others to be delivered. And she continues in verse 4, For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. And I want you to understand, that is our condition as a child of the devil. If you're outside of Christ, that's how you stand. You are sold to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. And that's why we need deliverance. Satan does not care for his own. Not in the slightest. He wants to destroy people to satisfy his pride and somehow get some revenge against God. Apart from Christ, we are sold to be destroyed. Paul mentioned how he was carnal, sold under sin in Romans 7. And and he goes on to explain how the law of sin in the believer's life is against the law of God. Therefore, we need a deliverer. And and listen, and those of us in Christ, we need to die daily. Back to the situation I was dealing with recently. A demon, through the use of a Ouija board, offered this man help. You hear what I'm saying? But it only left him battered and nearly dead. And I still don't know what the end will be. And you need to pray for that one without giving the name. And the things which happened to him by the demon who offered him help and the things that that demon was communicating to me, most of you might say, no, there's no way that could happen. Or maybe just some of you, but listen, spiritual warfare is real. And I can tell you in this situation, had the devil got his way, there would be a dead man tonight. But he offered help. You see, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And he offered help. Oh man, my heart breaks for that guy. Well, Esther uses the same language contained in Haman's decree in Esther 3.13 to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all the Jews is what Haman wrote. She goes on to say, But if we had been sold for bondmen or bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So she's saying, Look, I would have just kept my mouth shut if we were just going to be enslaved. If this was just a matter of servitude, then I wouldn't be coming before you. And then she adds, though the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. And that's just a way of her saying, if we're enslaved or if we're killed, it's the king's not going to make up all the tribute he's going to lose. Because the Jews, while in exile, were an industrious people. And they provided... Tribute as citizens of Persia. And so she's saying, look, if you, if you let this happen, you're going to lose all that. And whether the king cared or not, I don't know. But, um, you know, look, whatever Haman offered to pay, because remember, he said, I'll give, what was it, 10,000 talents of silver or something like that. Um, she says, whatever, whatever, the, whatever he would want to pay, it's not going to counter, what's the word, countervail? 
It's not going to countervail the king's damage. He's going to lose. You know, king, you're going to lose because of this, uh, of what's about to take place. And, and though it doesn't expressly say in our text here, what Esther is doing is she has now identified herself as a Jewess. Because Haman's decree is against the Jews. And now she's identifying herself. She says, my people. Which, if you'll remember, that's also a way of saying, this is the God I'm supposed to be serving. So it's not only identifying herself nationally, but it's identifying herself religiously by saying, my, my people. And, and so she's coming clean now about who she really is. And as far as we know from the text, the king has never had that knowledge. Maybe he did, but it doesn't say. And of course, we know Mordecai, I told her, she it a secret. And, and so now she's, she's let that out of the bag. And this is really the climax here of her, her calling these two banquets, what's taking place here in these verses. Um, remember, the king's invested. He's bringing it up. He wants to know. And she responds in a way that's meant to play on his heart and for him to, to, to be on edge, ready to hear. And, and so we can, we can relate with the king here in verse 5. The king's fired up. And he says, who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? Hey, nobody messes with the queen. Can I get an amen right there? Amen, fathers, husbands, whatever you are. Uh, husbands, I guess. Amen. Nobody messes with the queen. I'll go to jail over that. And, and the king here, he doesn't have to worry about going to jail. Amen. It's good to be the king. And so he's like, all right, who's, who's, who's the guy? Who's the guys? And finally tonight, look at Esther's response in verse 6. Just imagine being there. The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. This girl got some courage. (laughs) And I can just see Haman. I mentioned before how it's odd to me she's invited him to these banquets. I mean... I would want to have this conversation in private. And she has Haman right there. And I can see in my mind's eye as she turns and she looks and she points at Haman. The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Boom. We have to leave it with this final statement in verse 6. And I love this statement then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. Amen. How amazing is this turn of events? So Haman, he wants to exterminate all the Jews. But on this day, he's been forced to honor Mordecai the Jew. And now he stands afraid before Esther the Jewess. (laughs) Oh, what a day can bring forth. There's enough problems today. Don't worry about tomorrow, amen? Well, we'll pick it up next time, Lord willing. But as I close, take away from this account tonight that we needed a deliverer in Christ. And then I would ask you, plead for the deliverance of others. And understand, Christian, we ought to be living a life that is well-pleasing to our God. And in so doing, He will not only abundantly pardon us, but He will abundantly bless us. I came to give you life 
and to give you life more abundantly. Let's pray.